Hello and welcome to another Be Your Own Loud podcast presented by us here at Proudmouth. I'm Matt Halloran, your host. This show has a very simple foundation to meet amazing people who have risen above the noise, who are unapologetically themselves and have embodied being their own loud. Using these interviews as inspiration, our purpose is to help you amplify your voice to become the subject matter authority you were meant to be. Be Your Own Loud. Hello and welcome to another Be Your Own Loud podcast. My name is Matt Halloran. I am here to do one thing and one thing only today, which is to introduce you to our guest, Manny Onhonme. He is the co-founder of Samaritan's Feet, an amazing organization that has a goal to put 10 million shoes on kids to prevent foot-borne illnesses. He is the epitome of a great story and a great way for you to find your voice, listen, to your higher power and find out what you can do to truly change the world. Manny, welcome to the show. Hey, great to see you, man. It's so awesome being on your live stream. Have greetings, everybody. Thanks for having me, man. It's going to be an exciting time. So here's the fun, fun, fun part. I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask everybody at the beginning of the show, which which really is your story. And this is where everything begins. So, and you can go back as far as you want, Manny. And by the way, everybody, Samaritan's Feet is the name of Manny Onhonme's organization that he started with his wife. Uh, and we're going to make sure that we have some some contact information for everybody, uh, not just during the show, but also uh, the after the show in the show notes. So Manny, t- tell me your story, man. What, what, uh, Tell us about yourself. Well, you know, you can tell from my accent, you know, that I'm not from Tennessee. I'm from, I'm from Nigeria. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I mean, I, I grew up on the western side of Africa. Uh, one of the kids that you probably used to watch on Discovery Channel. If you ever see those kids just carry baskets and, and go sell things on the streets of the market, that used to be me. Uh, one day at the age of nine, I was fortunate enough to be at a park in Lagos, Nigeria, selling water and soft drinks when this group of missionaries came to my country to come teach African children to play basketball. I showed up there, I said, come sell water. I didn't realize I was about to have a date with destiny. Yeah, there was this group of people, you know, teaching kids how to dribble the ball, pass the ball, and shoot the ball as I sat down, put my basket of water down, trying to see if any business can be drummed up that day. And, and these kids were having just a blast. And I saw these balls. I mean, you got to realize in my neighborhood, man, everything is around them bounce. We kick them. I mean, they were dribbling these balls in their hands. I mean, it was so crazy. They were having so much fun. So I want to join them. And, and, and these people shoot me away because I was a street merchant. And, oh. and, and, and ever wonder, sometimes you show up in a room, you feel like you don't belong, man. That, and, and sometimes, you know, they, they, they remind you where you're really from. But, but sometimes I always tell people, man, God has a unique way of ordaining our life. And nobody can steal your spotlight at the appropriate time. When I sat and I watched these kids we having fun, I saw one of the balls roll around right behind a little tree right there by the, at the park. I quickly ran after that ball and I brought it. I didn't want to, and I snuck it and I just acted like I belonged. And and, and and I started dribbling the ball with the rest of the kids, bounced the ball, shooting around. And and then all of a sudden this guy, they call him Dave from Wisconsin. And, <laughs> and, and, and he said, we're going to have a shooting competition. And he said, the price for the winner is going to be a new pair of tennis shoes. Now, you you got to realize in my neighborhood, a pair of tennis shoes like a Mercedes Benz, when people live on less than a dollar. So when they said, who wants to be in this competition? Every person there was screaming, jumping, pick me, pick me, pick me. I was one of the few that got picked. Oh. I never played basketball in my life. But the first shot I took that day went in. I truly believe the Angels was working overtime because I ended up winning the competition. I became the first person, not just in my family, but my entire community owned a pair of tennis shoes. 
changed my world, man. I was so excited, man. This guy coming to the front, and 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 he was about to present me the shoe, and I, after giving the shoe, I was going to take off, and this guy grabbed me by my shoulder. He says, "Son, just because all you see around you is poverty, doesn't mean the God of the universe has forgotten about you." He says, "Son, keep dreaming and keep dreaming big." He could have told me that day the sky was green. I would have believed it. And after I finished speaking, I took off. I ran so fast, my brother. I forgot. I forgot my basket of soft drinks and water, man. Until I showed up at home, and my mama looked at me and said, "Son, where's my water?" I said, "Mama, check out my shoes." And she was so excited for me. And about a two or three minutes later, he says, son, you better go bring my water back. Right? You know, you gotta make Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And, and I ran so fast, man. I never forgot. And, and it was so crazy. I still remember slipping with those pure tennis shoes. Every time I go to that basketball court, I won't even put them on. I would put them on my neck because somebody from America gave me my first ever pure tennis shoe. It was crazy. But my home life was somewhat difficult because you know, I used to be one of those kids. And, you know, when you talk to a live audience, like you've got to realize there's got to be some people in the audience that they've got relatives of some folks, but they know their struggle with addiction. My father was not immune from that struggle with some of those challenges. And, and at home, home life was somewhat difficult. So, so I find myself growing up as I was getting older, the basketball court became my sanctuary. And it was so crazy because sometimes, you know, when, when you live with somebody that has some of these addictive personalities, the ones that are closest to them the most are the ones that they hurt the most. And it's crazy. All I ever heard from my father most of the time in my cognitive years was I'll never amount to much. And every time, you know, like he would just go through this binge and this season, he would take it off of me and he would curse and use mean and evil words. And, and it's so amazing. My mom, I always, talk, I always call her my angel. And then every time you'll say all this mean evil things, she'll come by me and put her hands on my head. And she always reminds us to remember, she'll say, in the name of Jesus, whatever this mean and evil thing this man say would never come to pass in my child's life. Because my God has promised my son that my son can do all things. It's so crazy. She'll say all this stuff to me and I'll go to her one sometime and say, Mom, why do we have to live so poor? Why do we have to live like this? And it's so crazy. And my brother, there was a there was a little window in my little tiny little house, two bedroom that about 15 of us lived in. And my mom will point at me and say, I want you to look out through that window. And she said, What do you see? And I said, Mama, I see trees. She said, No, son, I want to look higher. She said, What do you see? I said, Mama, I see birds. She said, No, son, you're not looking high enough. I want you to look higher. I said, What do you see? And I said, Mama, I see the clouds. And then she ever wonder why God created the sky so high. And I'll say, I don't know, mama. And she'll say, so poor boys like you can dream. Oh. He says, son, never make excuse for life. He said, just because today may be a crappy day doesn't mean tomorrow ain't going to be a great day. But as long as my God is on the truth, he says, son, you can do all things. And she has a way of putting it back to perspective and putting my focus on where the focus ought to be that I was placed here not by accident. But in spite of my current situation, I can actually arise above that and become something great. And it's hard sometimes because you have great dreams, but your dreams can be as far as the moon. But it's amazing to understand that your life is on an accident. You are truly greatness in the making. You know, so I started playing basketball. I still remember one day I went to my basketball coach as I was a junior rising senior in high school. I said, coach, I want to go play basketball in America. And he laughed at me. Uh -oh. <laughs> he said, son, he said, you're not big enough. You're not fast enough. What makes you think you can get a scholarship in America? So you have some balls on you, man. <laughs> you know, got to realize this guy was a king of was the coach of Akim Olajuwon when he was just starting to play basketball in Nigeria. So, so to even go to him it was like 
man, I don't know what the heck I, what kind of, I don't know what I smoke. You know what I'm saying? So, so, but I had this something in my spirit that said, I was supposed to go play basketball in America. And it said, son, I got to give you an A for bonus, but I just don't think this is going to work. But because of the fact that you took the step to come approach me, I'll give you some names of schools, but I doubt if none of them is going to ever approach you. But if any of them responds, don't you like that word of confidence? If any of them responds, <laughs> it's a, I'm willing to give you a letter of reference. So I started sending letters to schools in America. I ended up getting interest from five different schools. I got scholarship offers. I never played. I never knew nothing about America, man. I've heard about New York. I've heard about Los Angeles and I've heard about Houston, Texas. So when I got these brochures and all this scholarship offer, I put them on the table at home. I said, I'll pick the school with the best looking brochure. So I picked the University of North Dakota in Lake Region. Wow. Now, you, now I know some of your audience probably don't know where North Dakota is. It, it is the <laughs> coldest place in the entire world. I truly believe when I showed up in North Dakota, I've done something wrong to God. You know what I'm saying? Because African people should live in North Dakota. You know what I'm saying? But it was probably the best decision I ever made. Because I ended up meeting my bride, my future bride in North Dakota. And I finished at that school, transferred over a couple of years, moved on to, to Concordia, Minnesota. And because uh, they had a, a degree program that I want to be able to be, because I, I thought one day, because I used to wake up every day, my brother, and, and pray the simple prayer. I used to say, God, give me 001. That means it's okay for them to have breakfast or lunch, at least give me supper so I can make it to the next day. So I knew what it was like to be hungry. But I also knew what it was like that I can be an answer to somebody else's prayer. So I said, I knew, I thought in my heart, one day I was going to run the UN food program. So I said, I'm going to go get an international business, an international relations degree, sure. a master's degree in agriculture and applied economics that one day I was going to go work for the UN. It was so crazy. I was a good student. I finished my undergrad. I went to grad school, got my applied economics, agricultural economics, supply chain degree. Uh, I met this gentleman. Actually, I was selected as one of the top students in my program nationally. So they flew me to San Diego, California. I still remember landing in San Diego. I said, God, why wasn't this one of my options? You know what I'm saying? This is where I belong. Come on, man. <laughs> but it was so cool. I remember this young man. Uh, it was a young budding CEO from Singapore approached me, lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. He asked me, said, do you want a job? I said, yes, I want a job. Yeah. He said, I'm going to fly to Charlotte. I said, where's Charlotte? He said, why are you asking me where Charlotte is? I said, the last time I didn't ask that question, I showed up in North Dakota. I wasn't about to make that mistake twice. So he flew me to Charlotte. He offered me a job. I started working there, and it was at the heart of when the technology boom, the internet boom was right there. We were building amazing supply chain technology platform for major shippers and, and, and chemical manufacturers, people all across the world. And, 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 and our company got acquired. So we all were enjoying all this amazing success. And, and, and I was about to join another company. And through that process, my father got really sick. Oh, And I always tell people in life, see, God always allow us to make our choices, but seldom will he ever allow us to pick our consequences. So I always tell people I speak to to be careful what choices they're making because every choice has a consequence. So my father's choice to abuse all the things he did in the early part of his life eventually caught up to me. He was diagnosed with cirrhosis of liver, a bunch of stuff. My father ended up dying. But it was so amazing that then after my father passed away, he made peace with God. He made peace with himself and myself. And, and, and he ended up going, going to heaven. And, and, and so I had to go back to Africa to bury my dad. 
Mm. So I've been gone now from Africa for a number of years, and now I'm living the American dream. Yeah. And I remember showing up in Nigeria. I, I couldn't believe that our house was in the condition there is. I didn't realize how underprivileged we considered when you compare to the Western way of living the life that I'm now grown accustomed to. It, it was so bad. I couldn't even use the bathroom in my house. I had to go across the street to the park where you could sell water. And then when I came out of that place and I looked with the park on the horizon, I saw all these children with no shoes, with no hope. And that's when that emotion just came rushing, gushing down. I remember those children with no shoes. And I remember that missionary gave my first pair of shoes. I said, what if I can start coming to help kids like this? And that's when reality hit. I said, man, maybe this is for somebody else. It may be the pizza I hit last night, man. I, I think I've made it out. Let somebody else take care of this business. I'll support whoever wants to do this. I said, so, so then I eventually started learning that over 300 million kids wake up each day in Africa with no shoes. I learned that the, youth, the World Health Organization said over 1.5 billion with a B are infected with disease because many of them had no shoes. I said, somebody ought to do something about this. Be careful when you say somebody. <laughs> something else is funny right back at you. And, and I remember coming back home after we I did everything we need to take care of the business. We were down there to do in Nigeria. And I remember talking to my wife. I feel like we called to do something much bigger, to dedicate our life, to pay that, that generosity and love that we had. And then she was first looking at me and saying, what the heck did feed you in Nigeria, man? And I love the life I'm accustomed to, and I love all this stuff. And, and you want to do what? You want to go put shoes on children's feet? What does that mean? But it, it's so amazing. Eventually, she was the one that actually became oh. the inspiration for me to say yes. Because after reality set in, I started realizing, well, I have responsibility. I got four children. I got relatives in Africa I'm now responsible for as, the, as now the head of our soul, my, my family. I've got all these other responsibilities here. I said, man, I'll actually do better by just staying in the corporate world by helping somebody go do this. I was giving God every excuse why not to go do this. But so crazy. Uh, I left that company. I joined another company in New York. And, and, and because it was New York City, my wife eventually said she didn't want to move to New York City. So I was commuting back and forth between Charlotte and New York. And my buddy was going to start a new software company. So I, I approached him to join. So I ended up joining them to kind of run the product and marketing and, and business development group there. But through this process, we went, up, went, got, went through this amazing round of funding. And then we got this new venture capitalist firm out of New York that came in and, and they looked at all of us. We we're all young kids, man. They said, you guys need some adult supervision. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? So, so they brought this, we call them gray hair guys to kind of, kind of provide us some, some seasoned leadership. Yeah. They call it. And but through this process, we were looking to acquire a company. And so myself and my new boss, Jay, we're going to fly down to Dallas to go do some due diligence. So, so we went down in Dallas. We showed up the night before, nothing to do. So I told him, hey, let's go buy some tickets. Let's go watch Vince Carter go play against the Dallas Mavericks. He said, oh, that sounds good. So, so we, we went down, got tickets. As we sat down and Jay turned to me and he said, Manny, if money wasn't an issue, how would you change the world? Ooh, there's the question. I said, I've been set up. <laughs> I said, I'm looking around and said, there must be some other voice picking through this, brother, man. What <laughs> the world? So I started sharing about this vision I had, about putting shoes in the feet of kids, about all this, the need. And, and as I shared that and all the passion, and he stopped me. He said, Manny, why are you here? Oh. When your boss asks you a question while you're here, you change the subject pretty yeah. quick. 
So I'm like, I hope this game starts. So, so the buzzer stand the game. So I said, thank you, Lord. I don't have to talk to this guy about this stuff anymore. But then realized he filed that conversation. Well, a few weeks later on, my wife and a group of ladies went to this conference in, in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and, and she went with one of our best friends. And that best friend invited four other ladies. She never met that lady before, except for that time. So it was those days about 18 years ago, and, and they rode down in a van, you know, those moms, and they drove down their girls' night out, and they showed up at this conference. It's about to check into the hotel. This lady that Tracy didn't know said, Tracy, can I talk to you? And say, yeah, absolutely. She said, I just want to tell you this. I'm going to cut to the chase. She said, God has called you and your husband to a big vision. But you guys put, keep, keep putting God in the box. <laughs> and my wife looked at her. I said, who are you? And she started sharing some things with my wife who've never told a soul. She said she saw this convoy of trucks be mobilized to impact youth across the world. And she's sharing this stuff with my wife. My wife is weeping. She said, who are you? And then she said, is it okay if I actually serve you? I said, what do you mean serve me? And she grabbed a bottle of their park water and started to wash my wife's feet. Oh, my God. And my wife is bawling. And she, and she was there at that conference for two days, and she came home. You ever, you, you ever walk into a house, and you know you've done something wrong to your bride, and she looked at you with her eyes? I said, uh-oh, what did I do this time? <laughs> And she said, honey, we've been disobedient. Oh, what are you talking about, babes? She said, God's called us to a vision much bigger than us, but we put God in a little box because we think he is not big enough to help us accomplish his dream and still provide for us. Oh. And, and, and I'm trying to find a way to change the subject and I couldn't change the subject. So I knew one thing that she always loved was, babes, let's just get away. Let's go to Charleston. I said, let's go to church. Let me, let's get away because I know when she gets away, she'll forget about all this stuff. We'll just go have some fun. So I said, let's go seek God's direction. I knew what I was seeking and I got there. And, and a couple of days later, we we drove down to Charleston, South Carolina. And, and it wasn't even right before we went out to dinner. She said, honey, what, what is it going to take for you to leave your job to go do this? I said, woman, leave me alone. <laughs> I have all these responsibilities. I've got this. I've got that. I'm giving all this excuse. Cut to the chase. He said, we've called to something big, but your fear and doubt has caused you to put God in a box so much, you're not willing to step out in faith. So I was trying to think through real quick, what is something I can say to keep my wife to shut up at that moment? So I had this great idea. I said, honey, I got it. If I can save another six months of income, I know we have enough savings. We can live for the next two or three years because I know this God is a very busy God. I'm this Nigerian kid living in Nigeria, in Charlotte, North Carolina. In case it gets too busy, forgets about me. I need a backup plan. Man, I wish I said something else that day because on Monday I went to the office and I remember showing up at the office. I did all my calls and I was about to go to lunch. I stepped into Jay Rollins' office and as I walked into his office, he shut the door. And Jay never shuts the door when he talks to me. You got to realize this is a guy I went to Dallas with. He says, Manny, remember that conversation we had in Dallas? I said, yes. He said, what if I can help this start that organization? I said, what the heck are you talking about? I don't need you to start any organization. I'm fine. I'm fine what I'm doing. He said, I'm going to cut to the chase. He said, Manny, the new president of the VC is brought in once your job. He's got this guy wants to bring in. And also the CEO, your buddy, that you guys were doing this stuff together, I think he's going to be on his way out. But I saw the passion in your eyes when you were sharing about this organization. 
I'm going to cut to the chase. I can give you this amount of money to go start it. It was exactly the six months. Oh, my gosh. On Saturday. I lost it. I, I was so upset. I lost it. And, and, and man, I, I was like, what the heck? He said, man, calm down. I said, don't, don't tell me to calm down. I'm mad. I called it my Black Monday. I didn't realize this was going to be the best day of my life. And as I stepped out of that office, I didn't go into my office. I was so mad. And, and, and I picked up the phone. I called my bride. I said, honey, I think God answered this prayer a little too quick. Oh. I said, what are you talking about? So I think I lost my job today. She said, what do you mean you think you lost your job today? Mm-hmm. And, I, I'm, and I'm telling her as I'm talking to her, Matt, I'm weeping. Yeah. And she could hear my voice. She said, honey, come home. Oh. She said, to him, God calls. He always equipped. And I still remember going home and, 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 and just weeping on our shoulder and, and praying for me. And, and, and that became a new chapter in my life. And, and all of a sudden, calls started coming in. I guess the rumor gets around and I'm no longer there. And, and within a few days, I started having headhunters call me and, and my wife looked me around the eye and she said, if you take any of those opportunities, you'd be completely disobedient to God. And, and I'm like, holy cow. So I said, okay. So we stepped out in faith and we launched this organization called Samaritan's Feet with a vision to go put shoes in the feet of 10 million children around the world. We said, we're just not going to give them shoes. We're going to use this as a platform to activate hope in the hearts of those recipients and the heart of those givers and those servants. Uh, on both sides of the foot washing bucket, there'll be transformation going on. You won't believe this, Matt. 18 years into the journey, we've now served over 8.4 million people in oh over 110 countries. For a kid that didn't have shoes, we now manufacture our own line of shoes. We now got our world shoe, the first of its kind in the world. That's got an active antimicrobial that's biodegradable. It's crazy. We now make them in Georgia, and we now got plans to be able to establish as part of our version 2.0, some type of indigenous manufacturing in the oh. development world. That's kind of the next phase of where we're going. We just closed. It's so crazy how God works. In the midst of this pandemic, we're closing our, on an amazing capital campaign. We just acquired our, our new headquarters here in Charlotte. It's about the 75,000 square foot and 15, 16 acres. And, and just amazing. I mean, we, we're establishing a new digital immersive museum. It's going to be called a museum. It's so crazy. You can come immerse yourself in the life of people that don't know what it's like to not have shoes. We've now launched a senior shoe program. Uh, a fall resistant type of shoes allow us to work with podiatrists to be able to help senior citizens because people don't realize that by the year 2030, over 30% of the U.S. population are going to be senior citizens. So we need to be able to take care of those sure. that are taking care of us. You know, so we're doing that. We, we, we've got this lockup programs at schools across the country where during the pandemic, we can't go into school. Now we can act. You know, establish permanent lockers of this school so Title One schools can have access to footwear, hygiene kits, and socks. And so we can actually know because people don't know the top two to three needs of kids going back to schools are shoes. You know, so so the top need for homeless people in this country are shoes because that's the the foot is a primary mode of transportation. But the way we do it is such unique. I mean, the pandemic has slowed us our ability to be able to do it the way we love to do it because we do it by helping to elevate our recipient with such dignity that before they get those shoes, we literally humble ourselves and clean and wash their feet. If they have any wound, we bandage their wounds and, and we use that as a platform to be able to engage them and inspire them and encourage them that they can be used as a platform and a conduit to impact and change the world. So here's the question. The question is, 
I don't know if our listeners understand how transformational that footwear is. I need you to elaborate on that a little bit more, please. See, see, see in, 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 in the United States, right, you've got to realize a pair of shoes are fashion accessory. Yeah. You know, but to the millions of people around the world that primary mode of transportation, you go to a place like Ethiopia, over 5 million people has this condition called podoconiosis. It's a non-filarial type of elephantiasis. They, they, they live in agrarian culture, so they are farmers, so their soil is silica, and this silica attacks the sole of their feet, attacks their nerve system, it blows up to two, sometimes four, their natural sizes. They smell, they look like they got leprosy because their feet, I mean, if, have you seen elephantiasis before? Yes. That's what it is. The cure for it is shoes. Oh. You go to places like Uganda, Cameroon, Colombia, all these places, they've got these jiggers. Yeah, they're, they're like little parasites that burrow through the soil. So you have any opening in your feet, your toenails are cut, any laceration, they burrow through the soil, through that open spot, transported through your blood. Your body start looking like you got leprosy. The solution for it is protection of the feet, just having shoes. Sister Samir says, ringworm, all this Footborne related illnesses that we can stop 1.5 billion in the world. We can stop it today by just providing them shoes. And we've got the Trojan horse. We've got the world shoe. We've got it. It's got its antimicrobial. It can repel parasites and bacteria. And, and we can recharge it through our recharge station. And we can make sure it's biodegradable when the shelf life is over. We can bury it over the next 20 years. It becomes dirt. So we're not a nuisance to the environment. So we've got the solution. We just need partners to say, Hey, let's go do this. Let's move manufacturing closer to points of consumption in Africa, Latin America, Asia, so we can solve this problem. We can do this in our lifetime. So who's a good partner? Let, let, let's talk about that. Who is the kind of person who you want to be introduced to, to make it so that you can start localizing this so that the level of production is where not only where it needs to be and that we don't have to worry about all the shipping stuff? Well, any individual can be a partner. I mean, people always say, man, man, I'm not wealthy. I can't do this much good. For as little as $25, we can manufacture shoe, ship those shoes, have a volunteer sit in front of a person and inspire hope on your behalf. Or if you want to go with us, you can go to Samaritan.org and sign up and be one of our volunteers to go serve either domestically. See, in the U.S., we provide tennis shoes because we don't want any child to miss a day of school, a day of play in the play yard. So a yeah. pair of shoes is so important. So, so people sponsor shoes for our back to schools or different things. So corporations. So, so you've got corporations like, like Republic Airways, corporations like Coca-Cola, like Truist, you know, like Gordon Food Services. You've got all these amazing corporations that, that are teamed up with us to use their platform to be able to activate because they use Samaritan's feet as a calling card to activate service in the communities where they work and play. It's so wow. beautiful to see how can they associate, become a conduit to 
activate hope in the hearts of the future employees of this future companies to remind them that it doesn't matter how you begin. It's how you finish that really matters. And we believe in you that much that the CEO, Caleb King of Truist, the sixth largest bank in the country, will humble themselves to come wash your feet because you are important to God. So you must be important to me. And, and you are going to do great things. And, and, and we tell people we run one of the largest footwear humanitarian organization in the world that has very little to do with shoes because what we're dealing is hope we're dealing hope and, and now you think about what we're doing beyond the shoes we've now launched a samaritan leadership institute to teach the virtues of leadership based on the good samaritan story most people in the world have heard the story of the good samaritan you know so so that's what we are trying to help activate that i can be that proactive in identifying needs in my community. And I see somebody just like a proverbial guy that was going between that, you know, those two little cities and was robbed by this group of band-aids and left for dead. And this Samaritan came along and carried him and put him on a little donkey, took him to the to the inn and, and, and used his oil to take care of this brother and said, hey, take care of that guy. When I come back from my trip, whatever I, use, I owe you, I'll pay it. See, how do we Take that level of teaching to future CEOs so they can start thinking. Those kids that we serve so they can start thinking that, hey, I am the product of somebody else's solution. I can be the solution to somebody else's problem. Yeah, today may be a pair of shoes. Tomorrow may be food. The next day may be some type of transportation, some type of invention. But find a problem and solve it. But here's a problem we call to solve. And corporations, different civic groups, different foundations, all this kind of organizations, individuals can join us. And, and we, our goal is to serve about a million people this year. So if you watch and say, I can go, but I can do something, go to Samantha.org and do something or sponsor one in your community or sponsor a village so we can all together count to zero shoeless people in our work. And it's very easy, by the way. So I went on the, the website, which I'm putting up uh, again on the screen here, and we'll make sure that these are in the show notes. And one of the things, Manny, that's always bothered me about, about nonprofit organizations is they don't make it easy to be able to volunteer or donate. And yours is really easy to do. couple of quick button clicks, and you're able to go ahead and buy a pair of shoes every month uh, of the shoes that you guys are creating. Now, I, I want to, before we uh, wrap up today, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you is I want you to go back. And I know that when you got those shoes from winning the basketball free shooting contest, that you were not only filled with pride, but you were also filled with hope. Tell us a story about somebody who you have either gone back or one of your volunteers have gone back, gotten down, washed their feet, and seen that transformational change of hope and opportunity because they're given something that is a basic need. You know, it's amazing. There's a young guy in, in, in Lagos, actually in Josh, Nigeria, that was living in a, in a boy's home. And this kid uh, actually grew up to, uh, to an Islamic leader in the northern part of Nigeria. And, 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 and you've, some people, you've heard what's been going on in Nigeria right now with some of the Fulanese coming and just take over areas. And, 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 and this kid was trained to go bomb places like that. And, and one day he showed up to this place and there was a group of people coming to show this movie and, and, and there were Christians and, and he came to bomb them and, and, and him and his friends were ready to do that. And he walked into that, 
got placed that day and he froze and he couldn't move. And 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 he became pretty much paralyzed and he just and his friends took off or left him. Well, this group of people saw him and they just loved on him and prayed for him. And he miraculously came back to stuff. And, and there he was so scared that he had a automatic conversion experience, right? And 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 somebody went and told his father that this kid was hanging around this Christian people and and his father was gonna kill him. Oh. Uh, he's, he's, he's committed the ultimate stuff. So 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 you're sharing this story with me later on in life and and uh, uh, which is how he got to where we met him at. And so he went home and, and I heard that his father actually tied him and was going to use a dagger to, 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 to take his own child's life, which is unheard of. Uh, and, and, and from what I heard, and um, the guy tried to use the knife and he didn't go into the system. And a couple of times he was frustrated, took the knife down. And his, his, one of the father's servants came in, saw him when his father was in frustration, walked out the door, cut him and told him to run. And, oh. and, and, and this kid started running. He ran for the next two or three days through multiple stuff. And he found his way to this place in Jaws. And um, at this place in Jaws is where uh, supposedly he was with uh, this group of uh, uh, folks that took him in into this boy's home. And we went there with a group of people to go help him out. Uh, we helped them out with shoes and we went and served as lepers. And, 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 and I remember after serving Ibrahim and uh, he looked at me and I asked him what his dream was. He said, I want to do what you do. Oh. He said he wants to bring hope to people around the world. And, and I said, you know, well, tell me how you want to do that. So he went and researched. He found this organization in South Africa called Youth with a Mission. And he said, well, if that's where you want to go, my wife and I will sponsor you. And we ended up sponsoring him to go to South Africa. And he did so well at that school. They invited him to come uh, to their headquarters in, in, in Orlando. And in Orlando, he excelled, and after he finished there, he wanted to do more. He called me and said, man, I, I really want to do more. I said, well, we'll hire you. We ended up hiring Ibrahim oh. to come work for us for a number of years. And after a few years, he felt called to go start his own soccer organization, and we sent them off. And he, and now, you know, Ibrahim now has been married. He now has three of his own children, and um, he lives in Arizona now, just living a the life. There was another young guy. And, in Burundi, uh, you know, that we went there. You heard about the story of Burundi with what happened in Rwanda with the Hutus and Tutsis. And, yeah. and here's a guy that came, I mean, their parents were killed and then he found himself as an orphanage living in Burundi. And we went there, we teamed up with the leader of that country and some of the partners on the ground there. It's amazing to see you've got Hutus and washing the feet of Tutsi. Enemies called our shoes for national healing. And this young guy, when he heard the story of that I shared, but my mom saying why God created the sky so high was so poor, was like him. And he said, you know, he wants to hope like that. How can I have that kind of hope? Like to have positive expectation like you do. And and, and, and how can I serve like you? I said, and we started a relationship. Eventually that kid left. He kept the messages we gave him. And he found this way somehow because somebody became a refugee that came to the United States uh, to to a, to a place called North Dakota. I can't find it. You know, and through that process, uh, he got connected with us and he shared with me that how that message and that pair of shoes became the thing he held on every single time when he was about to give up. Somehow, miraculously, they got connected with his mom that he thought was killed. His father was killed during the war. But his mom was actually sent as a refugee to India, which eventually got reunited in North Dakota. And these guys come and spoke for us a couple of times. He said, I never thought a pair of shoes would change somebody's life, but it changed me because that became that symbol of hope today. 
He's now dedicated his life helping people, children just like him now in Arizona. It's amazing just to see how a pair of shoes been able to literally transform people's life, but bigger than just the recipients, but also people that serve. I have a board member that resigned his job because when he saw what a pair of shoes could do, he's now digging wells around the world because he saw firsthand what poverty is and how he could be used to be able to be an answer to somebody else's prayer because of a pair of shoes. People are now activating their purpose to live beyond themselves, to serve and impact the world in an amazing way. So, so people say, hey, what can I do, man? I tell you what, a pair of shoes changed my life over 40 years ago. Now, 8.7 million lives have been impacted. Who knows yeah. what stories their life is going Well, so, so I, I'm hoping that everybody takes a moment, one, to connect with you on LinkedIn, two, to go to SamaritansFeet.org and be able to donate. But, but you do other stuff, right? Like people can bring you in to speak at conferences and organizations. Can you share a little bit about that? And then we'll wrap up today's show. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, um, actually, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a keynote speeches all around the world and uh, so a company can invite me in our conferences can invite me universities can invite me in uh, we actually teach our servant leadership class at mm-hmm. clemson university uh, our new samaritan leadership uh, leadership philosophy uh, hopefully will be taught at auburn and, and arkansas and uh, lynchburg and some of these other universities down the stretch here and it's amazing to think about what a pair of shoes has done in my life. I mean, because of what we've done, we were able to activate a basketball coach to coach again for us on national TV. You might have seen on ESPN with these barefoot coaches. We've got now got coaches like John Calipari in Kentucky, Ron Hunter at Tulane, and all these coaches across the country that's now using their platform. We now have uh, affiliate offices in seven other countries besides the United States. Organizations now run just like Samaritan's Feet using our model to impact their work from South Africa all the way to Hong Kong, to Philippines, to Brazil, Argentina, and Canada, all those parts of the world that people are actually doing some phenomenal things. So, so, so you can be a part of us as it relates to what we're doing from an education perspective. You can engage us by helping us be an advocate for what we do or by educating people about the importance of footwear for people around the world. Uh, you can join us by sponsoring events. You can join us by going on a, on a short-term international humanitarian trip. Uh, you can be a part of a domestic distribution effort. You can adopt a community. I mean, just next month, we're going to be serving an entire school district in Perry County in Tennessee. So we're going to count to zero every child in that little district from elementary school to high school have a pair of shoes. The same day in Ghana, we're going to put shoes on every single person in this village in this right outside the Gold Coast, and we're going to count to zero. But how can you be a part of helping us count to zero so, so shoelessness can be abolished and football relatives can be pushed back and people can go, because people don't realize without shoes many parts of the world, you can't go to school. It's part of the right. school uniform. So here's more than just providing shoes for protection. It also becomes a conduit to help kids realize their dreams. So, so that's why this is important. So, so be a part of us, be a part of our campaign, be a part of what we're doing with the with our shoes of hope or in our community. I mean, one of the other big things we do that's very powerful is our reconciliation kind of our community cares effort, where we team up with with police and sheriff department, fire departments, so we can be a voice uniting communities. Imagine police are used to arrest a bunch of kids now humbling themselves with a uniform washing their feet. To, to, to build bridges of hope and love and, and, and unity. And that's what we need to see. We need to make sure that our voice can be heard loud through our actions and our world will be different. I want everybody as we close today to just think about 
what can you do to serve more? What can you do to help help somebody like Manny's organization, Samaritan's Feet, or other organizations that you feel very strong? How can you help them rise above the noise and be their own loud? Whether that's bringing Manny in to speak, whether that's donating 25, 50, 100, 200 hours a month, just to make sure that they're able to go ahead and put shoes on people's feet. Sometimes, everybody, it really can be that simple to make unbelievable impact in the world. And we here at Proudmouth want to do whatever we possibly can to amplify people like Manny so that his voice, his ideas, his life of service can be a shining beacon and example for all of you to just try to do just a little bit more to make this world a better place. Manny, it has been an absolute honor and privilege to be able to interview you today. Thank you very much for your time. Everybody, everything's in the show notes, right? So make sure you connect with Manny on LinkedIn and also go to SamaritansFeet.org. So for everybody at Samaritans Feet, Manny and his whole team, find a way to serve And we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you and God bless. Thank you for listening to Be Your Own Loud, where we reverse engineer success to help you accelerate your influence and break free from the torment of sales. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast, share with others in your company or profession, follow us on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Visit us at Proudmouth.com and join our Influence Accelerator Academy for free to enhance your marketing mindset and know-how.